This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual. And want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Dreamology Podcast. Dreamology is the study of the art and the science behind making our dream lives a reality. And here we are focused on giving you the mindset, tools, and strategies for making daily progress towards your dreams, no matter where you are in your journey. My name is Tim Bishop, and I'm the co-founder of the Dreamers Initiative. I'm a student of life, and I'm a life conversation junkie who is on a mission to identify how to truly live the dream life and help you do the same. Our guests on this show include best-selling authors, neuroscientists, entrepreneurs, and dream chasers around the world who share their knowledge, greatest stories, and life lessons with us. Before we dig in, I want to mention this podcast is brought to us by the Dreamers Initiative, which is a personal development community community that is on a mission to help Gen Z and millennials and young individuals out in the world awaken their dream life and make them a reality. We believe that humans are stronger together and that together we can accomplish anything. So let's get started on today's episode. Today's guest that I have the honor of introducing is Jess Lipman. Jess is a mindfulness coach, and on this interview, we delve into all sorts of topics from her personal experience with mindfulness to her addiction recovery journey and to her experiences uh, working for big-name personal development um, gurus like Brandon Bouchard and Jim Quick. And we really, really talk mostly about, though, the positive effects of mindfulness and how it can really help you develop concentration, clarity around your sensory emotions, and equanimity in your life, which means being the calm in the storm. You know, mindfulness is really a way that we can be in the present moment, no matter what is going on in our life. And it gives an opportunity to, you know, disconnect from the world of technology and really reconnect with ourselves. And really, my biggest takeaway from this conversation is that, you know, it's really a gift you're giving yourself to give yourself time to sit and to deconstruct your inner self, but it's also a gift you're giving to other because the deeper you go within yourself, the more you'll be called to serve to others. And so it's truly a beautiful experience. And so without further ado, here is Jess. Jess, thank you for joining us here today. We're really excited to have you. Um, do you want to give people just a little bit of an introduction as to what you do, a little spark notes version before we dive into the conversation? Sure. And thank you so much for having me. I'm really stoked to be here and to talk to you. Um, so I am a mindfulness coach and I help people achieve their goals um, across different areas of their life, whether it's personal relationships, um, their relationship with themselves, their business, their passions, what their purpose is on this planet. And um, I help them achieve those goals using mindfulness strategies. So um, for me, I've learned that it's all about leveraging specific attentional skills and mindset strategies to help people repattern themselves um, and create the life that they ultimately want. Um, I also am a marketing consultant for personal development trainers and companies, and um, specifically in the areas of mindfulness, wellness, the healing arts, positive psychology, and social impact. And so I help I help thought leaders and healers um, get their message out to the world and really amplify it and and really live into their purpose um, strategically. Sweet. Well, yeah. thank you for that intro. That's it's pretty cool work that you're doing. <laughs> I love it. It's, yeah. it's really beautiful what I get to do every day. Yeah, it is. And so I know that you're coming straight off of something exciting. So I want to dive into that right away because I know you just did a two-week, was it two-week, your meditation retreat or mindfulness retreat? What's the official name that we're going with? It's a two-week um, meditation retreat. And yeah, it was 15 days. It's the yes. longest retreat I've done yet. Okay. Well, you know that I am sold on the idea of it. But for people out there who are like, why the hell would you do a 15-day meditation retreat? Give, give some people a little bit of insight as to like why you, why you do these and what kind of happens uh, in these 15 days. 
Mm. Um, why I do these. It, retreat is a really special time uh, that I gift to myself. And also it really feels like a gift to the people that I get to work with and the people around me. And it's, it's really sacred time where you get to be in silence and really uh, dive into mindfulness strategies. That's what, that's the type of retreat I've been doing. And um, it's just really powerful what happens when you give yourself that kind of extended time and space to, to go inward and to dissect the senses because we live in such a saturated um, uh, world where there's a lot of information coming at us all the time. There's a lot of demand. There's a lot of motivations and intentions that are projected onto us. And uh, our sense of self gets really coagulated and fixed sometimes. And sometimes that can feel really like, like a trap almost. It's like, I feel trapped by my life or, or not. Um, and so retreat time is actually like, it's just a great space to, to go, to go deep and, um, and to allow whatever needs to arise to arise and to really hold it with equanimity with like, you know, neutral kind focus and not really push it away or, or crave it. And, um, and to just like really practice observing sensory experience and, um, yeah. And getting closer to source. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, it's been on my bucket list for a while. I really want to go try one of these. What does, what does like a common day look like? Is, is there, I mean, is there a general structure, a flow, mm -hmm. what happens on a, a day in the life of one of these retreats? So every day is basically the same. It's uh, you rise at five thirty. And, or no, there's a bell. So there's a bell ringer who rings the bell at 5 a.m. And that just indicates like it's time to wake up. Um, and then 5.30 to 6 a.m. is chanting. So we all, we all um, gather in the Zendo, which is the meditation hall. And um, when you show up to retreat, you like set up your, your sitting materials um, in, a, in one spot. And so that's your spot for the retreat, basically. Um, so this retreat actually there's like um there's like rooms like in this um corridor like outdoor corridor and we each have our own room and i had a roommate so we wake up you like walk over and the zendo is like right in front um and yeah we we chant 5 30 to 6 we um we then from 6 to 7 we sit so silent meditation um, seven to seven forty five is movement optional or you can meditate so typically from seven seven to seven forty five I would go and do yoga um, and then from seven forty five to eight thirty is another silent sit eight thirty to nine thirty is breakfast and resting and breakfast all meals are silent as well and mm. um 9.30 till about 11 is um, guided instruction with our teacher who's Shinzen Young. So mm. from 9.30 to 11, he'll, he'll guide a meditation using one of the techniques in his system, unified mindfulness. And then, um, so we sit while he's guiding. And then usually integrated into that at the end is like some kind of movement meditation so we'd go outside for 20 minutes and walk and or do something with technique and then he does ask me anything sessions every day so it's like 11 15 till 12 15 you you can ask him anything so we, we gather in this room and um uh and yeah you could ask him anything about anything it could be about mindfulness it could be um about science he likes talking about science a lot um anything you want. It's kind of a free for all. And then, then, um, then we have our break until about 3 PM. Oh no, sorry. Then we meditate again. There's another silent sit. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. 1230 to one, then one to three is, um, rest and lunch. And 
basically three to six are different sits. So three to three thirty is a sit. Three thirty to four fifteen is a sit, um, and then four thirty to six is the longest sit of the day. And that's where everyone, most people, go to the four thirty to six sit, and because Shinzen will sit in that one. And then in the last fifteen minutes of that session, so at five forty five he'll um guide us he'll do guided meditation using nurture positivity which is one of his quadrants then we have dinner break um come back another sit 7 15 to 7 45 then dharma talk 7 45 till 9 and then a sit 9 15 till 10 and that's the last sit of the day wow. unless you do unless you do yaza which is at 10 you could sit through the night if you want, but I don't think th there were two yazas on my retreat. So I, I actually didn't attend them. Um, but you sit, you basically meditate through the night. That's what yaza is. Wow. What yeah. a day. Holy crap. <laughs> That's... Sounds like a lot. And yeah. It, it gets pretty busy. It sounds like you're doing a lot of nothing, but there's not yeah. much time to do anything else. So if you need to do other things, like you kind of need to schedule it in and one of those other things for me for sure like i had to do yoga like at least twice a day um because sitting like for that long really if you're not stretching and stuff at least for me it, it just was it, it gets really challenging on my body and um so i need to i need to get into motion and i did some hikes too so there's like an ocean nearby it's in southern california near san pedro and so I would like walk to the ocean view and walk back and like get some kind of cardio in too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you kind of need some of that stuff. Yeah. Intermixed. Right. So. Oh, what a beautiful experience. I mean, how often in life, yeah, to your point, you just get a, you just, you sit and you just, you just get a B and I, it almost feels like you just get a B. You don't have to, I mean, you're doing things. You don't have this to do list. You don't have, things on your mind it's just like you're just existing and being there in that that sounds like such a beautiful experience it's a cool it's a cool thing to experience and there's like 30 people there or maybe a little bit more but you're all silent you don't really know anyone like some people know each other from going on retreat for a long time but oftentimes you don't know the people that you're sharing space with and it's mm -hmm. it's really respectful it's seen as a sign of respect to respect other people's silence. And that even means making eye contact. Like you, you don't really make eye contact on retreat either. Mm -hmm. And the idea around that is like when you give yourself that kind of space, the simplicity of a retreat, the simple schedule is actually really strategic. It's meant to um, allow you to create the conditions so that you can have um, to go really deep and to have like, insight arise and um and to go deep with your practice so the conditions are all really um strategic in that way and even not not connecting with other people is also um part of like i think it's part of the idea of like when you actually talk to people a self needs to arise in order to communicate so if a self is arising regularly on a retreat then it's hard to it, it just makes dissolving the self like harder I think. Hmm. Is that weird at first to not talk to anybody? Is it, does it feel like, like it's almost no, instinct or is it just kind no, of just the norm? It. I love it. <laughs> I actually really love it, but I'm also like, I think I'm an ambivert, but there's a lot of introvert in me. So I actually get a lot of relief from being in social situations where there's no talking. Huh. Cool. Okay. Well, how, I know there's a backstory with everybody's life, but you know, I'm curious how you even got into the practice of mindfulness because I assume you didn't just start with, you know, the two week retreat. I know there's a big backstory here, but can you take us back to how you even started going on this personal journey of mindfulness? And now it's, I mean, even led into your career. Um, but right. can you take us back to the origin of where was the birthplace of all this? Sure. I, um, I went to Rutgers university for undergrad and when I was, 21 let's say i um there was like this group of people sitting on the lawn on like at college 
and meeting to do Zen meditation and it was silent. And my friend, Elena, um, she invited me to go. And so we sat and it really, the practice actually really resonated with me. Um, And I don't even know why or how, like the early days were, it's kind of unclear to me why I was so drawn to meditation. Hmm. Um, I've been getting more and more clear actually as to why in actually at this last retreat, I got pretty clear on like, why am I so attracted to mindfulness? But I'll share that in a moment. Um, And so from there, then my friend also happened to be a Quaker. And so Quakers, if you're unfamiliar with the way that spiritual community operates, a lot of Quaker meetings are silent. So it's an hour where you sit in silence and the idea is that you allow um, the spirit or like higher power to access you directly through silence. And so I was really drawn to that um, because I love, I love the silence and sitting and meditating. And so I got to explore meditation in that kind of community environment. Um, And then I found Tara Brock around the same time. So Tara Brock is a, um, she's a Buddhist psychologist and Mm. she's had a podcast for decades now, but I found her podcast and in my early twenties, like same time, 21. And I would listen to her guided meditations and Dharma talks and, and, and do a practice at home. So I sat and did guided meditation for years actually. And that was like from age 21 until about age 26. And then when I moved uh, to Los Angeles, I I went to grad school at USC school of cinematic Mm. arts and I have a master's in critical studies. And so when I arrived in LA, my roommate invited me to this meetup. It's a drop-in meditation class. And I was like, oh yeah, let's go. I'm really interested. And it's actually with one of my old teachers, Jessica Graham, who was actually on the retreat I just went on. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, we got to sit retreat together for the first time, which was really like special. Um, So she, I used to sit in her drop-in class on and off for years. I lived in LA for four and a half years. And I think I sat with her regularly pretty much for about three of those years. And that's actually when I started deep in my practice is when I found community to sit with. And she introduced me to unified mindfulness system. And at the time I didn't really know that, but that's when I really got introduced to Shins and Young's work. And so sitting with her, And then my practice got even deeper once I started to sit with George Haas, who is the founder of Meta Group. And I sat with him for the last six months of my time in Los Angeles before I moved to Portland. And that's when I really learned a lot more about Buddhism. And um, he also is a student of Shinzen Young. And so he integrates Shinzen's techniques with attachment repair techniques. And Mm. so I've gone through a lot of his curriculum too. And um, and so now I have that in my toolkit, like using mindfulness strategies and meditation to heal attachment disorders. And now I moved to Portland. I went on my first retreat in 2017. So when I was like, uh, I think 31. Okay. Um, and yeah, so my first retreat was probably a decade after I was introduced to the practice. Okay. And there's a few reasons for that. A lot of, so one of them was like, I didn't have the funds to go on like a retreat with a, a te- the teacher I wanted to go with. Mm-hmm. So there was that. There are plenty of 10 day free retreats. Like, um, so that, that was, I don't know if that was like a real barrier, but it felt like one for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe I didn't have the time. Maybe I thought I didn't have the time to do it because taking 10 to 15 days is significant. Um, especially if you decide to go offline completely, it's, it's like, even when you go on vacation to like the Caribbean or something, a lot of people don't go offline, you know, they, they're still on their phones. They're still Instagramming. They're taking photos. Like when I go on retreat, I choose to turn off all my devices and really unplug. And that's, that is one of the coolest parts of a retreat is Mm -hmm. unplugging. And in our world where people, it's becoming really, everyone's really cognizant now about their craving and addiction to technology and to social media. Um, When you get to go on a retreat 
it, you really are just given this opportunity to unplug and, and really realize your relationship, not only with technology, but with yourself and with, with real, with the real environment and how Mm -hmm. cathartic and how healing it is to actually be in the world instead of being plugged into these virtual spaces. Wow. That's powerful. (laughs) That's very powerful. So you said on this, on this most recent one, you started to get like even a deeper understanding of why you even practice this. Is that what you had mentioned? Oh yeah. So I'm curious, like what, what those realizations were. Well, for me, and this is, this is really specific to me. And this is actually, there's a lot of reasons I practice. Um, but something that came to mind for me was that it's like, why am I so interested in mindfulness? Um, beyond the wellness and health benefits that I get, it's because I'm actually into um, deconstructing things. And so I told you I have a master's in critical studies. So everything mm. I did in grad school, I decon- my job was to deconstruct media. So I deconstruct television, film, um, you know, digital stuff like the internet. So my whole thing there is like, I like to dissect and come to understand the components of, of an object. And, um, and for a long time, that was like, that really feels like it was my purpose. And in a lot of ways, it still is a huge part of who I am. But then my career shifted after grad school. And now I'm really, I I mean, I'm really going into mindfulness and not just in a personal way, but I'm, I'm serving from that place as well now. And what I found is like mindfulness is actually it's deconstruction. Like you're Mm -hmm. deconstructing the senses and you're coming to know each piece really well and the different flavors of what's possible. And um, it's a deconstruction of consciousness essentially um, and the inner system and, and coming to really see the world um, through these new lenses after um, purifying consciousness and, and deconstructing the senses. So that became really clear to me is like, actually these two things are not so different after all for me. Um, so Same really, kind of skill sets and thought processes going on. Yeah. And so that was really meaningful. That insight on retreat was so meaningful because I have been curious about like, what is it about mindfulness that is drawing me so much? And now I've, I've really kind of uncovered, like it's the process that you enact in the, in the practice that, um, like it's an investigation of an object and the object is the self, the object is consciousness and the inner systems workings. And so now that's my new venture in life. It's not media. It's, it's the inner system. It's the human body and mind. Right. And so that, that's obviously a very compelling argument um, for trying mindfulness as it is. But you mentioned the, like the health and wellness argument. Um, yeah. But for people, you know, maybe listen to this who don't even know a lot about that argument. Can you give a brief summary of just the basic like health benefits and and science behind why mindfulness um, is something that is worth practicing? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of people and probably a lot of listeners might struggle with like anxiety or fear or, um, or anger, different emotions arise. And every moment of every day, we are, we are constantly um, regulating those emotions, whether we actually know we are or not, like every moment of every day you are regulating. And the ways we regulate are like you, if you turn on Netflix, that might be a way you're emotionally regulating and not even really conscious that you're doing it. Or when you go out and like be social with friends, you're regulating your, your present time moments and, and emotions. And so the practice of mindfulness really allows us to kind of uh, wake up to that and really get clear on like what's motivating um, the actions that we're taking in our lives. And, and then you get some space there to actually choose how you want to act in the world. And mindfulness gives you space between the reaction arising and then the response you can take. And that, that's really where a lot of, that's where the liberation of freedom lives is in that, that space between reaction and response. And mindfulness allows you to develop the concentration, clarity, um, sensory clarity and equanimity to really 
um, be with every moment that arises, regardless of its quality, whether it's really joyous and, and um, life giving, or if it's really challenging and uncomfortable and painful, whether it's physical or emotional pain, you, when you practice these techniques, they, they are the, the techniques that actually allow you to be with everything that arises. Um, and the reason why that's important is because um, when you have complete experiences, you, your contentment actually increases. Even if, even if the complete experience is of pain. So that's profound because, uh, I think a lot of people actually run away from pain, um, or in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's emotional pain or, or just emotions in general, some people can't even hold emotion. So they run away from it. Um, and there's aversion and that, or they crave something else, the addiction, it could be and manifest into addiction. And so that's where like drug use comes from, or like, you know, even, even drinking uh, and abusive drinking, it, it really is your way of either craving something to be different or running away from something. And that's with mindfulness, you actually are building the toolkits to just be with whatever's arising in the present moment um, mm -hmm. and process it completely so that you um, can then move forward free of, of that baggage and you're developing the techniques to be in your life, to be present. Um, so it's really, it's, it's really powerful. It's really, um, it's great for sleep. Like it, it increases, um, quality of sleep and duration. Um, even it, it can actually reduce the amount of sleep you need. If you have a practice, um, oftentimes meditators sleep less than eight hours a night because you don't really need it. Um, and that's, I think that's more, um, mm. rigorous meditators, but mm. less sleep is required. Um, and it helps with, you know, becoming a skillful visionary or communicator or leader. Um, you know, when, when you are like leading a team or even on a team, like there's there are challenges that arise especially if you work up in a startup or in um in some in a kind of environment where there's like a lot of change and volatility and so practicing mindfulness actually allows you to be the steady ship at, at sea so if we were thinking about that metaphor it's like whether the whether it's calm sea and it's sunny and everything's just like equanimous and still the the ship is afloat and whether there's hurricane winds and rain, like the ship still stays afloat. That's how I would describe equanimity. And that's mm -hmm. one of the key things you actually develop with a practice. Um, mm -hmm. And it helps you be um, more heart centered and really approach people from a place of like compassion, loving kindness, forgiveness. These are really key strategies actually that you can um, leverage with mindfulness and tools that you can use to, you know, relieve anxiety with interpersonally, or, you know, if, if someone's really irking you at work, instead of um, it brewing for an hour, um, and keeping you from being productive, you can do five minutes of um, what I would call a micro hit, which is 10 minutes or less of, of a formal practice, um, where you have your attention on one thing. So you do five minutes of a micro hit of forgiveness practice. Um, toward that person and it softens and dissolves that resentment and then you can get back to work. And so that's just like one example of like, there's right. some real practical use to this in everyday life. It's not just something that you're not just sitting on your meditation pillow um, and, and feeling disconnected from the results that you're generating. You're really shifting the way you orient toward people and yourself in any situation. Yeah, that's super fascinating to hear you explain it like that. And I was, as you were talking, I'm like thinking about my own experiences because one thing recently for me has been happening, which I think is really cool, but like in my life has a lot of chaos too. I'm starting businesses and doing this and that and your ship at sea analogy of things can be kind of crazy at times. And, and I've been noticing this happening where something will happen during the day and like I'll, I'll there'd be some issue or some question or some, you know, what's the next step here sort of challenge and before bed I'll, I'll sit and do a, a short like meditation session 
And I've just been having like the most profound answers just like come to me. And I'm like, how did that just happen? Like I'm giving myself a space to sit and I'm not even thinking about the business or anything, but then randomly this thought will pop out of my head and I'm like, that's the answer. I'm like, how, where did that come from? But it's like, I, I don't know if those two are like, like fully correlated, but it, it seems like in my mind that they are, that I'm allowing myself just to kind of sit with, with things and letting my thoughts come and go. And then like, there's these like profound moments I've been, I've been having that are almost exciting. I'm almost like, Oh, that was awesome. And I, like, write it down. But I just, I was coming in my head as you were talking about just kind of the idea of figuring out like in the storm and being able to just sit in it and just being able to kind of like still navigate the ship. So I, yeah, I love that analogy. Yeah. And what, yeah, what you just described is like spontaneous insight, which is a really common byproduct of mindfulness too. Mm, okay. um, spontaneous yeah. You, insight. you have, you have more insight. Shinzen would call it the wisdom function, but the mm. wisdom function is activated um, with different meditation techniques. And basically it's just like deep insight can arise, not just like what you described, like ideas, like creative ideas. It could also be deep insights about your existence or, you know, like what I had on retreat, like the connection I made about my interest in right. mindfulness. So those kinds of insights um, definitely are the byproduct of doing this kind of practice, which okay. is why they also call, they sometimes call mindfulness insight practice. Okay. I've heard that insight practice. Yeah. Cool. Or insight meditation. Yeah. Because insights arise when you give yourself, um, when you practice these tools, um, these attentional skills, um, that's what happens. Okay. And yeah, you mentioned a bit in there. So I, I'm curious on your, your personal journey here with this, cause you talked a little bit about just the idea of that alcohol and drugs are a way that in a lot of things, Netflix, you know, ways that we can avoid these things or run away from these um, emotions we're feeling because it's, it's easier to just kind of escape them and to, to push them off. And I, is it true? I believe last time we talked, you said that you were like completely sober, like hundred percent. Is, was that a fact? Yeah. Am I saying that so, right? Was that a choice that was made like after you started doing mindfulness and started to dig into things that you wanted to weed out of your life? Or I, I'm curious on some of those things that you started doing mindfulness practices and then realized that, okay, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need this. And, or I want this. Can you give me a little behind the scenes on what that experience was like for you personally? Sure. So I am a recovering addict and, um, I am, I'm in some recovery programs that support me on my path. And I actually got into recovery and stopped using drugs and alcohol. Um, or any mind or mood altering substances. I joined in um, 2014, but I didn't get completely mm -hmm. sober until July 5th, 2015. So I believe I have um, five, four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half. That sounds, sounds right. Yeah. yeah, it's good math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't keep track much anymore, but I should. Um, so I actually found my way into sober living though, because I needed to. I I hit a bottom and it was one of those, like, I don't know who I am kind of things that happened. Um, mm -hmm. And it also happened at a time where I was, I was meditating for a few years by that point. So at a really um, a more serious level, I was using unified mindfulness strategies and really developing awareness at a level that actually made my, suffering really apparent so i was mm. very aware of my suffering and it was hard to live with it it was hard to live with myself and my craving and aversion was so strong and i had no space between reaction and response if i had a craving to smoke pot there was nothing like there's literally nothing i could do except do it and i felt kind of out of i mean i was completely out of control because i would quit I would quit on my own. I'd say, I'm done. I'm done today. And then like 10 minutes later, it was like craving hits. And I was just, um, it was just like, I need to go find that thing and mm. do that. And so I was like, um, I was trapped. I was like a slave to that, to, to addiction. And, um, and I was really uncomfortable with my suffering. So I found recovery 
And, um, and now I'm actually in a Buddhist recovery program. It's a Buddhist path to recovering mm. from addiction. It's called recovery Dharma. And, and it's really, it's a beautiful community. It's an international program. And um, I'm really grateful because we get to meditate. It's one of the core tools that we use in to recover from addiction. And we use the Buddhist principles and path, um, the eightfold path um, and the four noble truths to support our recovery from addiction and including substance abuse as well as process addictions. Okay. Thank you for sharing yeah. that and, and being vulnerable. And yeah, that's, that's obviously a very profound experience with what we were just talking about, which was separating the, all right, like this is, I know this is uh, a way that I can avoid the suffering or, or, or I know it's bad and, and just diving into that. And now that it's been about a five year or so experience for you now. So it's, it's, it's awesome to see that you're, yeah, four and a half years past that that point and that's really cool yeah it feels like light years i mean honestly it feels so much longer like i don't even recognize who i was like that's how much i've grown and evolved since then mm. um and i do definitely owe it significantly to the practice and then to the personal development work i've done and the mindset strategies and um mm. but i can i do remember and this is actually before this is before I got into recovery. Um, I struggled, I was struggling with a relationship and I remember using, um, there's a technique called feel in, in the unified mindfulness system. It's where you just like focus on emotional body sensation um, in the body. So even if there's mental talk, like thinking, or if there's like, um, like which is here in or um, any like mental image, I would just hold that in background equanimity and not focus on it. And I would just like pour attention, um, neutral kind awareness onto the emotional sensation arising in the body. And um, I did that when I, I had a breakup and so someone broke up with me. And so in that moment, it was actually one of those times where it's like, that would be the trigger for me to go smoke some pot because I need to deal with this emotion that's arising. And that's the whole reason I was using drugs in the first place is to cover up the emotion I'm having. Like, let me fix this fast. Cause I don't know how to hold it. I don't know how to be with it. Um, and because I knew feel in as a technique, I used it. And um, so I sat with myself and I just felt sad and I felt the contours of what the sadness felt in my body and I watched it move and change. And then I watched it disappear. And that's the practice. Like that's, that's just, that's like what mindfulness is. It's like being fully aware and attentive to what's actually arising in the present moment and seeing it through, letting it be completely there because it just wants to be, it just wants to be seen um, in order to pass through and it gets stored in the body and it, it clogs up when we turn away from it, when we say, Oh, I don't want to deal with it. It's not that it goes away. It stays there. And then things like people get sick from that kind of thing. Like when you hold on to those things rather yeah. than processing it. And when you process pain, it purifies your consciousness and it allows you to reorient to pain in a whole new way. So now today, like when I feel sad, I lean into it because I know that that's like, that's what's actually going to heal me. That's what's going to allow me to relieve that, um, the negative sensations and to come into a new way of knowing and a new, a new way of coping. Really. I don't need drugs today because I have those tools. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a lot of connections right now in my conversations because I was just talking to a friend the other day who was not a professional mindfulness coach, but he was saying, you know, one of his big things he's been learning about is like, is to just, just let emotions be. And it's exactly what you just described. And now I'm piecing together what we're talking about. And what he told me, what, which was like, I, I kept trying to fight things. Like he works in a hospital. He works 12-hour shifts. They can be hard. You know, they can see children with broken arms or this or that. And it's an emotional experience. And he's like, sometimes I just get sad. And I want to fight it. And I want to push it away and ignore it. Or, but from what you're saying, it's like if you can just learn to embrace what you're feeling in there it actually becomes easier than to to let it go and to 
diffuse it or whatever the proper word is that you use. But that's it's really cool to piece those things together and to, yeah, because the logical thing would be to be like, I don't want to feel this sadness. I just want to <laughs> brush it off and move on. So it's, it's really, right. yeah, it's really insightful to hear you talk about this. Thanks. Yeah. And it's what you said, like, I would say letting go is part of having a complete experience in order to let go of something. We need to give mm. it like the full attention that it needs in order to, um, in order to like dissolve it and, and transfer it into something that's productive or yeah. something like that. But yeah, like letting go is part of mindfulness. You can let go of things that are irking you if you actually just sit with it and just just feel exactly what's arising and watch it like dissolve and dissipate and disappear. Um, yeah. It's when we don't, it's when we turn away from it or want to fix it or change it. Um, we're clenching away from it and that actually makes it bigger and um, more solidified, more coagulated, more painful. Um, when you pour um, concentration, clarity, and equanimity onto a sensory experience, it actually relieves the suffering. So when you're in pain, emotional pain, if you actually bring attention to it, when you bring concentration, clarity, and equanimity to it, those are the types of attention you bring to it, um, it relieves the suffering. That's the whole point of doing it. If you don't want to suffer, be with the experience fully. Um, be with it compassionately hmm. and bring those um, attentional skills and pour those onto it. So when you concentrate on it, that's just the attention. When you're clear on the sensory experience, I can feel it's pulsing in my chest or I can feel the tingling, that's sensory experience. And the equanimity hmm. piece is really, you're not pushing it away. You're not craving more of it. You're just allowing it to be there, absent of, of any kind of action from you. Right. That's yeah. yeah, that's super, super interesting. Well, you just heard a lot of incredible information about mindfulness. So I'm, I'm super stoked about <laughs> everything we just talked about. Um, but I want to transition a bit into the career aspect of it because now it is your career. Um, you know, this is something that you obviously personally has meant a lot to you, but now you're helping others with it. So I now want to shift into the, the evolution of how it actually became, you know, what you do as uh, a full-time you know, company that you run or however you want to yeah, company, right? The, the mindful nest. Yes. The mindful nest. Yeah. So what was the, yeah. What was the, that evolution? Like, I know we briefly discussed this before, but um, refresh me on the, the evolution of how you got to now having this be what you do. Um, so for years I've been doing marketing strategy and consulting and I've had the privilege to work with, um, thought leaders and personal development trainers and, um, you know, the top 50 companies in personal development and wellness. Um, and, and I've really gotten a chance to see what the coaching industry is like and how, how you can really support people at a really high level, um, on their path to growth and evolution. And also how that, how that really has like a significant impact on, um, a lot of people, especially depending on who you're coaching, like when you coach executives, for example, like there's a lot of lives that they touch all the time. And so that's really high level service. And um, so I really got a taste of like, what's, what's that like? Like what's, what's going on there and, and what's possible in terms of impact and service. And, um, and I love, I personally love um, consulting and coaching and it's just something that like, I was finally ready to really step into that role in 2019. And um, let's see, like how I found, I mean, it was kind of hard for me to imagine mindfulness as a career because it just felt mm -hmm. like this is like what I do for, to be okay. This is what I do um, outside of work. I don't, this isn't work. Um, and so, I actually got introduced to the fact that, yeah, this could be your livelihood. You could just do this for a living. And I learned that from going on, actually probably going on retreat. Um, I was, when you go, when I went on my first Shins and Young retreat, I was surrounded. A lot of his, um, a lot of his retreatants are mindfulness teachers and trainers and coaches. And so I was surrounded by all these people who do this for a living. Like they just, they do consult, um, 
coaching, consulting or training. They, they help people one-on-one and in groups. And so I was like, wow, um, this is like, this is like a thing. This is an industry. Um, it's also, it's just, it's been an ongoing service that, I mean, there's meditation teachers across time mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> uh, that really support people. And so I was really inspired by that. And um, that's when my interest peaked about really where I felt like, oh yeah, this is my purpose. And that was actually in 2017. So it's taken me a little mm. time to actually um, move into this space in a serious way. And, but my teacher Shinzen always reminds us that the practice is not like, like it's not just about practicing for yourself at all. Like it's really, you are practicing alone. Yes. And, um, you also are really doing this to be of service. Like the deeper you go with your practice, the more you, you will be called to serve. And Mm. there's a lot of reasons for that. But, um, uh, one of the big reasons is that like on the path, like there's, you face challenges as you meditate more and more. And it's really um, meaningful and important to have teachers and, um, and people on the path ahead of you who can mentor and support you along the way. They're kind of like giving you the, the guideposts to where you're going because um, it's kind of like, you're practicing and um, you're in the dark completely. Like you're literally, I mean, oftentimes we have our eyes closed depending on the technique, the practice you use. I mostly Mm -hmm. meditate with my eyes closed. You're literally in the dark and you're practicing. And like, if, if you have experiences, it's, it's really powerful to have a teacher who can say, Oh, that's what's going on. Like, I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they give you the guideposts to, to keep growing and going and evolving with your right. techniques and practice or else, you know, you could practice for years. And if you don't really have that kind of community support, like you don't, you can't, I mean, you, you could grow your practice, but you may not have the integration skills to really understand the level of growth you're actually um, hmm. experiencing. You may not know like where you are, like in terms of, you know, your mindfulness practice and where you are with like your I guess, awareness or relationship with your consciousness. So it's really powerful to have teachers and, and trainers and people who support you along the path. I learn that more and more every time I go on retreat, like Mm. there's my growth, like is directly correlated with my relationship with other meditators. Yeah. So, so I feel really called to that service. And like, I'm so grateful to be able to help people like develop a practice and, learn about mindfulness and um, learn about the system I'm passionate about, but also just about other, um, you know, practices and systems um, across time that map onto it. And it's, I just think it's a way to liberate like ourselves and have freedom anywhere, anytime. Like truly Um, it's really, you, you can feel that liberation Mm. in any environment. It's all about like what your attention is um, focused on. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you made a lot of compelling arguments for, for giving mindfulness a try in this interview, oh. but I, I love what, what you said two minutes back or so, which was it's often thought of as a solo journey, but really the more you delve into the inner workings of who you are, the better you go out and you can serve the world based off of who you know, you know, who you know you are, who you know you can serve. And that's, that's profound. That's amazing. Oh yeah. When you, when you're a meditator, like you, and when you practice mindfulness, like you are being of subtle service anytime you're around anyone, like that's it. That's just what's, that's what is happening. It's like you're, you're inherent, like, being is being of service because of the way that you orient toward yourself and the world. Mm. Um, I've seen, I've seen my relationships change with people from my, across my life. And I definitely attribute it to the practice, you know, like my relationship with my family members is, I would say really strong because of the work I've done and and my mindfulness practice. Mm. And um, so it really, it like emanates. It's not just like, you're not just doing it for you. Like 
you're doing it and you're being of service when, when you have a practice and that actually can help, that can help keep a practice. It's really, I don't know about for you, but I find it kind of challenging sometimes to make space for sitting in silence every day um, for extended periods of time. And um, the reasons probably are like, you know, we live in a saturated world where there's information all the time and every, everyone, everything wants our attention. So we're constantly cultivating the skills of craving and aversion constantly, especially every time you grab your phone to check Instagram for no reason, like your body, you are trying to regulate something in the present moment and escape. And so to, it's kind of like going against the stream to go sit in silence and just be with what's arising. Um, So when you do it for people beyond yourself, when you do it, like if you lead, if you're a manager, if you lead teams, if you're on a team with other human beings, if you want to be a great friend, if you want to be like a family member who's really supportive and who can be there through great times and challenging, like having a technique, a regular technique is, is one of the ultimate ways to serve, you know? Yeah. I, I, life gets really fascinating when you start to notice these things because just recently I've been setting like, okay, I have these hour work sessions where I try to put my phone on, do not disturb hour down. I'm locking in and there'll be random times where I'll just reach for my phone. And before I touch it, I'm like, what am I doing? I don't, but it's like, there's something in there that's just like, grab your phone. And you're like, why did I do that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, back to the computer. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what that thing is, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like wired into us to just, to just grab it. And I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. we've just done it so many times, I guess. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, when you have a mindfulness practice, you're aware that you're grabbing it and you get to choose whether or not you're going to. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when you look at your, you know, your career now, do you have some goals for where you would like to take this thing, this, you know, this mindfulness company that you're working on as you've been doing, you know, reflecting and getting in the stages of looking forward to it. Is there any kind of things on your mind of this would be the ideal operating system or my ideal level of impact or things that you want to do with it? Or is it just touch as many lives as possible? What's going on in your head? <laughs> um, wow. Uh, let's see. I, I get, I don't have a number in mind yet of how many people I want to support, but mm. I want to support as many people as possible to um, allow them to access freedom on their own terms using their own body and, mm. um, and to not need anything outside of themselves to be okay. Um, and to like really ultimately like have the highest level of contentment and happiness as possible. That's like really what's possible when you have the practice. And so that and an aerial view is really what I'm passionate about. And, um, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to continue doing one-on-one coaching. I feel really, um, called to that type of service as well as group coaching, um, and training with mindfulness. And so, um, I, this year, for example, I'm, I'm ramping up and and offering workshops and co-leading different trainings, um, uh, with, with friends and, um, and colleagues. And so I'm excited about doing that. Mm. And, um, I'm programs chair for the, the greater region or Portland region of recovery Dharma this year. So I, I have the opportunity to, to, you know, work on building programming for the recovery community and being a part of that and finding great guest teachers to come. Um, maybe there's retreats in my future that I can create containers for people to have deep experiences over longer periods of time. Mm. And um, yeah, those are my main, those are my main um, kind of goals right now. And I'm still pretty new and the mind, the mindful nest is fairly new. So, but um, it's really exciting. It's a really, actually, it's a really exciting time to, to get into this kind of livelihood because it just feels really aligned and um, I really feel like the world needs this. And, um, and I feel like people really want this. People really want to be able to take refuge in their own bodies and their own minds and to 
be aware instead of trapped inside of thought or inside of experiences because um, they stand to just make a bigger impact in the world if they have that kind of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I think people need it too. So keep, keep doing it. <laughs> Yay. Thanks. Um, before I uh, let you kind of close it up and talk about kind of where people can learn more about your services and find you, uh, I ask everybody this question as it's kind of a theme of the podcast, which is, you know, helping people define what an extraordinary life is for themselves. And so I ask everyone in their own life, like what are kind of the pillars that for your life, would you say that you need to, in order to make your life extraordinary, good, whole, complete, what are, what are kind of those components that you feel like you need to have in place in order to uh, carry on with, with feeling like you're living an authentic life that's true to you? Mm. Oh boy. <laughs> it's a big question. Um, um, all right. I'll respond by saying this because I actually <laughs> say this every day um, to myself and it's an intention setting thing, but these words mean a lot to me. Um, and this is like what I want to live into. And so I do my best every day to figure out how to, how to be these things. Mm. Um, so I say, grant me honesty, courage, humility, and serenity to face life fully today with love, integrity, and service in my heart. And mm. those are a lot of words, but, yeah. um, all of them really mean a lot to me. And, um, I mean, I think one of the core pillars right now for me, um, beyond that statement is I really believe that self-love and being authentic is actually the foundation of, of like living your best life. Mm -hmm. And when we don't have a, a solid kind loving relationship with ourselves, when we don't really know who we are, we, we don't really have an opportunity to take wise action because mm. we're not really clear on um, what we stand for. And so when I say I'm, I'm committed to honesty, courage, humility, serenity, love, integrity, service, those are the things I really stand for. And love right. is like one of the top ones because I've found in the last few years that like love for other people um, is really important. And um, in order to actually share love, you actually have to have it for yourself. Hmm. The way we see and perceive ourselves and orient toward ourselves is, is a lot of times the way that we um, treat other people. And so um, it's really important to cultivate a relationship with yourself and to really accept and like know who you are like who is that authentic self and for me i've been like learning that over the last few years it's one of the main um suffering pieces i was carrying for years is i just did i avoided knowing who i was because mm -hmm. it was too painful it was for whatever reason it didn't feel safe and i'm at a place now where like that is my main goal is like i do things that light me up and when something doesn't feel aligned I get clear on why and if it needs to be let go of and then I let go of it so that I can make space for the things that are meaningful and aligned because mm -hmm. if we live from a place of alignment and authenticity, we are absolutely able to be of service at the highest and um, there's no reason why we need to live from that smaller place or do things out of obligation. Um, at some point you've got to ask yourself like, like, what do I love to do? Am I willing to make space to do that? Yeah. And I think for me that that's actually how I found my way into mindfulness um, as a service is because I love it so much. And at some point I was like, I need to give myself permission to go do something I really love doing. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's something to ask yourself, you know, it's like, what, like, yeah, what do I need to give myself permission to do? Um, in order to take the step toward my aligned life. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually for, for your listeners, like anyone who's listening, I'd love to offer five um, free power sessions with me. So that's like basically 60 minutes where we dive deep 
into, you know, what do you want to expand into at this time of your life? And we'll look at like what you're struggling with, what, what your challenges are. Um, and then how mindfulness strategies can actually support you in achieving your goals and helping you get to where you really want to go. Um, we'll also take a look at your, your current mindfulness practice or your meditation practice, if you've got one and really look at like, how exactly are you currently building the attentional skills of concentration, clarity, and equanimity, um, or not. And we'll get to really look at like where, where you can start optimizing right away with what you're doing. And um, so if you're interested, I'd love to invite you to apply for one of those power sessions. So to apply to one of Jess Powers sessions, you can go to themindfulnest.co backslash dreamology. I will put that link in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Jess. I mean, the way that she talks about the mind and our human experience and really embracing what we're feeling and not pushing things away to me is truly incredible. And I thought this information gave me so much value and I hope it gave you a lot of value as well. And the call to action for this interview is really take advantage of this offer. I mean, it's free. It's She's offering, she just had the idea. She said, I want to offer five free sessions to your listeners. And uh, she's been coaching me now in my mindfulness practice for about a month and a half. And I've just been able to learn so much about myself and about piecing together who I am and in my experience. And I mean, it's just truly some remarkable practices that, that you get to do with her and the loving kindness that she shows you in these uh, experiences that you have with her. You know, it really can't be beat. And so that's my call to action for you. Reach out to her. Use the link. Sign up for one of these five free sessions. And if you don't want to do that, then the other call to action I would just say would be try to start giving yourself 10 minutes a day to sit. Focus on your breath. Pay attention to your senses. You know, really start a meditation practice. And there's so many ways you can do that. So many apps that allow you to start doing that in a really easy way. And so, you know, if this interview taught you anything, I would say it's give yourself time to be with yourself. Disconnect from technology and start to connect with yourself. So that is the end of the interview. Hope that you enjoyed it. And together, let's go make those dreams a reality. I will see you next time.